1: our biggest takeaways from the zero RB watch and stealing signals. That's what we're talking about this week on stealing bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at yardspergretsch. You can find my sub stack at bengretsch.substack.com. That's where I write stealing signals. And with me as always, is Sean Siegel, who you can find at Rotoviz. That's where he writes the zero RB watch. And Sean, it's our Wednesday show. We've both spent all of Monday and Tuesday uh, not leaving the computer as we <laughs> review everything from week three. And uh, yeah, how are you doing? And, and excited to, to chat through the stuff that we found.
2: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. It's it's such a good time uh, chatting with you, picking your brain on all of these players. Uh, ben, between reading Stealing Signals, writing the Zero RB watch list, reading Blair's work, the new advanced stats that we have on the site, uh, Corbin Young today, Matthew Spencer has been adding stats to our monday review tool all the time you can do some really cool bylaw stuff with that connor has bylaws based on our strength of schedule streaming tool i feel like i know more about what's going on in football right now than i ever have this is probably what evan silva always feels like and i'm having a great time managing these teams with you i wanted to start out by asking you about monday night football we recorded On Sunday evening good things were happening bad things were happening we talked about how it was somewhat unique to have a situation where the Chiefs would continue to score points even though they lost and Tyreek Hill wasn't that involved that the Bills would score a huge number of points I actually got a chance to watch that game uh, after we talked and you know heartbreaking in a way Stefan Diggs actually was a couple of plays away from a monster game as well could have joined some of his teammates in that one unusual for him to score so many points or for the bills to score so many points and for him not to participate and then monday night football happens then we had cd lamb where we needed a handful of points in a couple of leagues and watching what the the cowboys did the funny thing here and i'm not complaining because this is i mean this is fantasy football and it's kind of the fun thing that happens not only did lamb not score and the cowboys did a bunch of Mm squirrely stuff but I go in and look, and in a bunch of our high-stakes leagues, Dalton Schultz is available, and so you've got that kind of interesting decision to make going forward because we know he's not going to do that again. But actually, I found he was playing against me. Not only as he owned, but in the lineup in a bunch of my dynasty leagues. So lost a bunch of those, but there's always a silver lining. And because Amari Cooper was also not involved in this game, our team, we did the... Hot takes, bold predictions, live draft for one of the most fun things that I had a chance to do this fall with you, the one that has Najee Harris. It's squeaked by. It goes to 3-0. and And so positives and negatives. What were your thoughts about this Monday night football game? The number one thing I was thinking was something almost completely unrelated. I was thinking back to that week one game between the Eagles and the Falcons. And I was thinking just how bad are the Falcons? I mean, that team is terrible.
1: Yeah, the Eagles didn't look great uh, to that point. They, I mean, their first half was, I guess, not too dissimilar from from what the Bears did this week, which we talked about a lot on Sunday. On Sunday after the games, they they got nothing going. They scored their only touchdown on a defensive TD and were struggling. Uh, it was, you know, sort of sort of what I was hoping for from Fields in the in the Bears game. We saw from Hertz in the Eagles game, which was that because they were behind, they only ran the ball to their running backs three times. Uh, I noted that in stealing signals. I thought that was interesting. Then I saw later, I think Elias looked it up and said, that is the lowest of all time. Three running back carries in a game for an NFL team. Hertz had nine of, of his own. But basically, yeah, what, what ends up happening is Hertz ends up with a very good game because he's chasing and he's running a lot and he's throwing a lot. And he ends up with, I believe, over 300 passing yards and all those things. So they, they did some stuff, okay, late. But, yeah, I mean, the Eagles looked really tough in the first half. They, I, I mean, my my concern with them is the offensive line injuries. They lost uh, Isaac, what is it, Su- Sui Muloa? I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> but they lost him for the season during that game. I mean, that loss against the Cowboys, they already were without Brandon Banks, their other starting guard, who's out for – eight weeks, I believe it is. And they didn't have their, you know, their, their, maybe their most important offensive player, uh, line player, uh, Jordan Mailata, the left tackle was out. So they're out two key players already lost a third in game. I mean, that's pretty rough. That was a big reason I think that they looked as good as they did against the Falcons was their line played really well in week one, but now we're here in week three and they've already just sort of fallen apart in that regard. So, that's tough for the Eagles. It's tough for Hurts. It's tough for a lot of their players, I think.
2: It is. And
1: I've got some concerns about this passing
2: game going forward. What are your thoughts on Smith? One of the things that you can do with the Monday review tool at this point is to pull up the guys, filter for the players with the top weighted opportunity. You can compare that to air conversion and see you know, who theoretically should be a buy low but we know that reality also wanted to play with some of these players. So Smith has gotten some targets. He's gotten some deep targets. Those haven't connected so far. We believe in his talent and the role is there, but do you have enthusiasm for what the passing game could do, especially if it's going to be almost all passing? Uh, Are these guys going to bounce back a little bit and be Fantasy relevant. One of the questions that we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show is this idea of the young players, the Elijah Moores, the Rondell Moores. What do we do with them? As we know we have to be patient, but also we can't lose too many games
1: as we try and point toward the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, definitely. I I would say I'm concerned about the Eagles receivers just because number one, like Rager has looked pretty good. Devonta Smith has looked like the clear number one, but Ragers looked good. And then Quez Watkins has looked really good. He's had sort of more of a limited role. Uh, in terms of the routes he's running, but he's made plays. He had a really nice downfield catch uh, on Monday night, and so I think it's just challenging with all three of them involved. Both the tight ends also involved, and obviously the running backs are going to be involved to a degree as well. And you have a running quarterback, so it, it, you know that those are some of my concerns coming in. I got a little bit more excited about the Eagles late in draft season as you and I talk more about it. I think especially with the offensive line struggling and, and their overall offense like not looking good enough to have this mat, you know really big pie necessarily. I am pretty concerned. But yeah, you were asking about the Cowboys too. And I, I mean I think the I'm I'm not worried at all about Lamb, for example, or Cooper. I mean, that game was just so obviously them controlling the line of scrimmage, running well. Zeke actually looked good. Good for him. Pollard continued to even look better. Uh, they they just were dominating and creating a lot of holes. And so they're running the ball. Well, they went with more two tight end sets, which was interesting. Cedric Wilson didn't play as much. They went with both Schultz and Jarwin Schultz had the big day, but they both ran the same number of routes. They both were at like 72% routes per drop back, something like that, which, uh, you know, obviously adds up to a lot more than a hundred percent routes. That means they were both on the field together quite a bit. You know, that's, that's just sort of, where the I mean the way I, I talked about it in signals was like Dalton Schultz was efficient when they went to him you know he had the two touchdowns those plays hit sometimes they hit sometimes they don't but if you know if uh, a quarterback is if a, if an offense is running the ball well and then going to the ancillary pieces with some of the few targets that they do have early and those are efficient plays they, they catch them and they score on those plays it's the, I mean that's exactly the type of scenario that can build toward the top receivers basically not being involved in that game because the Cowboys never were really uh, in a a place where they needed to throw a ton. It was actually kind of cool to see them throwing in the second half pretty aggressively, even with, you know, a decent lead. It wasn't a massive lead because of the defensive touchdowns on, on both sides, actually. But yeah, I wasn't concerned about Lamb at all. I mean, it just was one of those games. Football's a weird sport. Sometimes games play out that way. I mean, that's something that we know can happen. And it's, it's hard to recognize in a three game, three week sample. This is a big thing that I talked about in Stealing Signals is I think there's been a lot of that stuff so far, more than I think usual for the first three weeks of the year where stuff has happened, you know, like peak efficiency for like a Dalton Schultz in a situation where the team is running well and then suddenly the receivers aren't even involved in that game. And it all makes sense from that one game's like living and breathing, you know, ecosystem or whatever you want to call it for, for that one football game. But there's been so many more games like that so far this year that I don't think are, are particularly predictive of the way these teams want to play or will play in a lot of different game scripts than, than we usually see in the first three weeks. And I think that's probably one of the biggest takeaways for me right now in the entire sort of fantasy football landscape is that people are always going to overreact to the first few weeks. And, A lot of these trends to me are just like, you know, I I talk about signals and noise in in my article. A lot of what we've seen is just like fairly noisy. I'm not buying super, super hard into basically anything so far. And I think that that's a great point because we tend to
2: not only overreact, but then anchor to these things that have been pretty fluky. And so we're gonna have fantasy managers anchoring to information that is very misleading as we go forward. And that's going to be exploitable. You mentioned the situation with the Cowboys. I would be more worried about Amari Cooper, who hasn't been quite as healthy and doesn't look as dynamic. And I'm very biased on that is that I think that there's a big gap between Lamb and Cooper, but you know, you see that big play to start the game. Lamb, obviously someone who can make some of these plays. We talked about his athleticism being maybe the only tiny little red flag with him, the size athleticism combo. You see that play to start the game where he's tackled more or less at the one inch line and you know, uh, we didn't really have questions about that, but it's it's just kind of fun to see that element of it constantly wiped away because he's so dynamic there. He has the play on that Cedric Wilson touchdown where he comes open. And for whatever reason, Prescott definitely didn't think he was going to be part of that one. So wasn't looking there. He could have had the touchdown there, which would have changed the way his line looks. One of the cool points that you made on a recent show was about how early on when Barkley wasn't healthy and they could do some of these things with Daniel Jones on these run options and he's keeping, he's running, he's forcing the defense to account for that in future games. Now, how much does it matter with the Giants where they, you know, aren't going to be good, but you know, they're trying to maximize how good they can be in this game. It seemed very much that the Cowboys are saying, if you're going to take away our receivers or even try and take away our receivers and let us run on you at will, we will. And we're going to be able to do it in a way that most NFL teams can't. There, you see it with the Chiefs, Clyde edwards goes for a 100 yards, but it's still not a great way for them to approach the game to let Tyree Kill be taken out of it. The Cowboys want you to know they can go two tight ends, they can run the ball down your throat, they have two elite running backs, they're going to score a lot of points on you that way, and they're going to continue to score. So I, I think that you know they've done a lot of things here to set up future games where they also score a lot of points.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great a great point there. And one more, as I was talking about sort of the fluky stuff, I wanted to circle back to Diggs, who you brought up in, in your first comments. I mean, he could have had a monster game. You're right. And and people are worried about him. I know there's a lot of people who drafted him. I was very high on him. We we did the, you know, the Grudge Me If You Can <laughs> segment that you talked about where I said he'd be the wide receiver one. I'm not really backing down off how excited I was about him. I'm writing something for stealing and Sooners, an additional piece this week that looks at, Targets per out run that I always reference, but weighted targets per out run adds in air yards. And on a per route basis, and Diggs is running a ton of routes. So there's no, you know, there's no issue here with that. On a per route basis, he's like right where he was last year, almost exactly where he was. And then in a very sort of weird twist, Cole Beasley is exactly where he was. And Emmanuel Sanders is right where John Brown was. So the Buffalo pass offense so far in terms of, Targets per route and air yards per route, you know, weighted a little bit towards the air yards. The volume has been almost exactly the same as last year. And we know last year that Stephon Diggs was fantastic, right? And so I'm not, you know, it's basically just small sample efficiency they haven't hit. Josh Allen had the one throw where Diggs was wide open up the right sideline. He was under a little bit of pressure. and he, I mean, it was a windy game, but he just threw it like five yards out of bounds next to Diggs. And it would have been a, a long touchdown. There was another deep shot into the end zone where Diggs sort of got tackled at the waist as he was kind of going out for the ball. It was a little bit overthrown. He didn't exactly get to extend to it because of the defender. It was well-timed. I don't know that it was clearly pass interference, but certainly, you know, it was just one of those bang, bang plays. It was very, very close to being a touchdown. He had separation. The pass wasn't, you know, perfect. And so... And then and then Allen makes you know a really nice throw to to Emmanuel Sanders on the run and and some of those things just happen like look he made better throws when throwing to a different receiver than Diggs this week that's going to happen but overall I'm not concerned about Diggs at all and he was very active through the first two and a half quarters and
2: then not as much in garbage time which you know sometimes that will happen but the fact that uh, he was so heavily targeted through the part of the game that was in question I, I'm right there with you I think that if we did the draft again I would take digs just as high, you know, if not higher in a couple of these situations. And so I-, I love the weighted yards per route run stat. Then you- you've got a piece that's coming out on this. We're going to have this tool on RotoViz. You and Dave Caveman have been working on this. Uh, subscribers are going to be able to go in and search this and search a lot of your other signature stats, the stats that you use in your pieces. And
1: I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, that's going to be super fun. High value touches. You guys are basically like, what stats do you want in it? And I was like, all right, well, here's all the stuff I look at for running backs. Here's all the stuff I look at for wide receivers and tight ends. It's not too bulky of a tool. It's basically just sort of, you know, looking at those specific stats that I really, really value. There's a lot of other stats that I look at as well. You know, you talk a lot about expected points. Those are in all the other rotoviz of his tools. So you'll still be able to find all that stuff, but. This will be mostly just sort of the like signature stats, like you were saying. So, different ways to look at high value touches for running backs, different ways to look at, and some new stuff with that. You know, high value touches as a percent of the team's total high value touches, which I thought was an interesting way to consider it. But I haven't really actually dug into a ton, you know, and splitting out green zone touches and all these other things that I think are very important. And then, and then for receiver, yeah, targets per out run is a big one. And then this weighted targets per out run stat will be in there as well. So, that'll be fun. Yeah, it's going to
2: be, I mean, you you go down into the tools, you you come back up a couple hours later, you disappear into that rabbit hole and wonder where the time has gone. But it's time well spent. It's a lot of fun, even from an entertainment perspective, even if you're not writing articles all day long. But in the last couple of days, like you said, we spent most of the day in front of the computer, thousands and thousands and thousands of words, you know, we need to consider novelists, right? You have a a book in, in almost no time. And then, you know, hit the bestseller list and, and you're a multi-millionaire, you can hang out at the beach. After the break, we're gonna come back and look at some of more of the advanced stats. We're gonna look at some of the key pieces from our articles and our week takeaways, including a look at some of the committee backfields that appear to be giving RB1 or RB2 workloads to multiple guys
1: hey rotoviz radio listener this is curtis patrick from the dynasty command center podcast and i've got a special deal for you today go to rotoviz.com click the subscribe button put the 12 month subscription in your cart and use promo code rv radio 2021 that's rv radio 2021 and you're going to save 10 percent taking advantage of this deal getting your hands on what's included in the package is the best way to enhance your performance this year
0: by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations, icon of the seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean, Ships Registry, Bahamas.
2: Ben, we talk a lot about the running back dead zone. Uh, one of the pieces that I put together in preparation for this year's drafts looked at the best pick in the dead zone. And unfortunately at the time, it was a better value than Travis Etienne. We know that anybody has a better value than Travis Etienne because he is going to score zero fantasy points this year. But not surprisingly, this was Kareem Hunt for a couple of weeks. He looked, I mean, he was taking a clear back seat to Nick Chubb, who, I mean, he's probably the best pure rusher in football, right? You look at this team through three weeks and these guys are just absolutely running over people. The strange thing that happened in week three is that Kareem Hunt took the lead, right? He had 5.2 to 11.4 advantage in terms of total expected points. He outperformed that by 12.3. We look at the full three weeks, and both of these guys are fantasy points over expectation superstars. Chubb is at 4.6 per game. Hunt is at 5.7 per game. I mean, these are absolutely crazy numbers, right? These, this level of outperformance isn't sustainable, but we do know what's more likely with superstars. Chubb actually was at 4.5 last season for his 12 games. So when we talk about somebody who doesn't have the overall EP profile to really justify their selection, you've got to hope that guy's a superstar and and that's why he is drafted at that level. And know those numbers are are coming into play again he is blasting his ep numbers with the efficiency in 2019 the first year that they shared kind of that eight game overlap hunt was at 1.5 that's obviously not too bad either he's outperforming that so far this year an absolutely massive game in week three here he was one of the top guys think number one in yards after contact uh, averaging 6.3 on his 10 attempts and we're talking about small sample sizes obviously but it's still Pretty impressive. He's got a 30% evasion rate. He was one of the leaders in terms of yards after the catch, yards after contact after the catch. So it didn't matter if he was rushing the ball, catching the ball. He was shrugging off tacklers as though he's a Marvel superhero in a movie here. Now, the Bears didn't have a good week in any way, shape, or form, but uh, Kareem Hunt coming through as a dead zone running back. And it's kind of the range in which I like to take our the first zero RB guys if you started out really heavy. Now, we did some teams where you just take sort of one running back in the first six or seven rounds. That actually has worked out pretty well for us. Uh, what are your thoughts on this backfield and maybe – even contrasting it with this Broncos backfield where Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams have scored quite a few points. Their EP numbers have been very high. Gordon stopped at the one yard line in this game. Williams scores right afterward, but then Williams has uh, kind of the late game foibles where he stopped and then he fumbles. You know, there's some notes about how this stuff takes place in garbage time but frankly, the Broncos have been so dynamic on defense that a lot of their games they've been way ahead. So I don't know. Both of these guys are getting touches late in the game.
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, both of the Broncos have essentially only played from ahead so far. So both of the backs have profiles that lean toward, you know, more production in in what you know you might refer to as garbage time or high win probability scenarios or however you want to view that. Yeah, I mean, I think both these backfields have been tricky for me to analyze, and I'm actually really interested to hear to hear your thoughts as you sort of talk through it. Gordon looks efficient again this week, in, you know, in terms of sort of the ugly old-school efficiency metrics like yards per carry in a way that that Williams actually did not. Williams had looked a lot better through the first couple of weeks, you know, other than Gordon's one really long touchdown run in week one so you had started to hope that, hey, maybe Williams just looks like the better back over an extended stretch. This week, that gets a little bit more complicated. And so now I'm back to like, well, you know, they're probably just going to be in a 50-50 split here for a little while. And, we're, you know, we're hoping, you know, we, we've talked before that Williams getting the 50% snap rate and touches right out of the gate in week one. I think he was above 50% touches right at 50% snap rate was a very positive sign long term. And so now we're just sort of in this waiting, waiting period, holding period where they're both playing a lot. You know, the question is, will Williams get an opportunity to play more than that? But to your point, they are generating a lot of EP, uh, you know, a lot of value for both backs. The concern with that is, will they continue to win at a really high rate? They've had all these wide receiver injuries, which aren't good. I mean, that was a big part of this offense. I mean, Bridgewater's played well, but you know, having Judy and Hamler on top of Sutton and Fant is amazing. And then having just Sutton and Fant and and Tim Patrick and you know Albert o and and those guys it makes it a little bit more challenging, I think, to be consistently good. And then also they have just had a probably the softest schedule in the NFL so far. They put the Giants. They played who in week two? Have they played the? Oh, they just they just shut out the Jets this week in week three and week two was the Jaguars. So you're looking at, you know, probably potentially three of the worst teams in the NFL, right? I mean, I think if you go look at some of these power rankings, people are going to have those three teams maybe at the bottom, at the very bottom. And so you have that element of it too, where they're going to, you know, they're going to be in some tougher spots and are they going to be able to, to produce enough running back value for both Browns one is more interesting to me because you note that they've been efficient in the past. You note that both backs are efficient. There are elements of this that you have to start to wonder whether essentially when we talk about like sort of regressing to the mean and things being unsustainable and difficult, sometimes there's a question of like, where is that individual players mean? Because not everybody is going to regress to the same league mean. And you talked about superstars. You talked about, you know, obviously superstars being it being easier for them to be more efficient. Nick Chubb. I think it's very, very easy to say that Nick Chubb's expected efficiency or fancy points over expectation or however you want to talk about that should be expected to be better than league average, no doubt. But when we also add in that you know Kareem Hunt, who's also incredibly good, and maybe the same could be said about him independently, but when they're both doing it in the same offense and they both did it in that offense last year, and you can even go back to the year before – There's something to be said about the way these guys are used, how good their offensive line is, how the offense is designed, that we almost should expect their mean in terms of what their actual expectation is to be efficient. Maybe a couple of points a game better than expectation uh, in terms of their efficiency, which is, you know, helps number one in terms of them both getting enough points from a split. And then number two, I think everything I just said about the Broncos and not being sure about how big the pie will continue to be in tougher matchups, I'm less concerned about with the Browns. The Browns just look like a better team. Their defense looks, I would say, probably better than the Broncos. They both look great. Broncos, these look fantastic. But the Browns, I think, are just sort of better, and they've, they've had to face tougher opponents so far. We'll find out more about the Broncos as we go along. But their D and sort of their offense and everything, the Browns, you know, you could just look at Vegas odds or whatever. The Browns have been projected since the offseason to be the better of these two teams. And so you'd expect that to be good for the running backs in that offense in terms of being in the game situations that can generate fantasy points as well.
2: And in, in that piece, I went through a variety of scenarios, talked about how their EP and FPOE profiles could move around some of the things that happened in 2019, in 2020, how Chubb really did sort of come back and take a little bit more of the lead once he returned from injury last year. And that combined with the fact that Hunt was sort of flukily inefficient. When he had the backfield to himself and i think that that convinced people that this massive upside in the case of a Chubb injury maybe was overstated it's not right and so if you're in situations where a week from now you can make a move for hunt you want to make sure you do that the other thing and you definitely alluded to it right there is this situation between the two teams which team is going to be able to run more you think about how the two divisions are developing And, you know, will the Broncos, especially with Teddy Bridgewater looking quite as good again in week three, we know he's a game manager. Are they going to be able to run a lot against the Chiefs? Are they going to be able to run against the Chargers? Are they going to be able to run against the Raiders? Probably not in the same way. So then it's a matter of who comes out and is dynamic in the receiving game. Williams has kind of teased that. We'd like to see him develop that a little bit more. Conversely, the Browns, in comparison to their divisional mates, I think you've got to be very excited. If you're a Cleveland fan, the Steelers look like a team that you might be able to get up on, control the ball, control the clock, you know, run it down their throats, do a little bit like what the Bengals did last week, but with Chubb and Hunt, you can do it more explosively than you can with Joe Mixon. The Ravens look like a team that maybe you can exploit and do a lot of running against. I mean, they have... The crazy game there with a Justin Tucker kick, but the Ravens are a team now that does not necessarily look like a Super Bowl contender. And then the Bengals, you know, could go a lot of different directions. We're very excited about them, but it's probably too early to say that they're a Super Bowl contender. The Browns and a lot of the schedule going forward, I think, are very well set to deploy these guys. We know that's going to be a huge part of their game plan. It might be even a little bit more based on game script than it might. In a, in a worse scenario, especially as we look at this passing game, which it's almost perfect, right? Because it's just good enough to not be so bad that the teams can then really focus on the run, but it's not good enough
1: to siphon a lot of plays away from the running game. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think some of the listeners might be surprised to hear you say that about the Ravens. I mean, they haven't looked great, but they did finally get over the hump against the chiefs already this year. They're throwing more than ever. It is interesting to see that sort of trend develop with all their running back injuries. I'm not certain that that's going to stick because like, for example, they went pretty pass heavy here in week three against the Lions. It seemed like they you know, knew they had an inferior opponent and wanted to really work through that side of their offense, almost lost to, to an 0-2 team. I mean, we know the Lions are feisty. We've talked about that constantly, but... 500 plus passing air yards from Lamar Jackson, a lot of
2: them on target to his guys deep. I mean, you got to play to your guy's strengths and that's his strength, right? Is that he can move around, he can get these guys 30, 40, 50 yards downfield. It looks very different if Marquise Brown catches those balls.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It's a very good point. If Brown just brings in those passes, this game's more of a blowout. I think they did a lot of things very well passing. I'm just interested to see sort of, I I, I don't know, this is kind of a, narrative based take, but I feel like we've seen a couple of times in the past where the Ravens have like almost tried to make it a point to get Lamar passing more, leaned into it more in smaller samples. It would make a lot of sense with all the running back injuries if that was a big focus early in this season. I'll be very interested to see if it sticks all year. It, it wouldn't be all that, you know surprising. We already sort of expected that we were talking about it before the running back injuries that the that the Ravens could pass more this year especially with the, you know, the Rashad Bateman pick and other things. They know that. They know that they've lost in the postseason, you know, in, in situations where they struggled to throw to come back in games in, in the last couple of years. So that's a part of their offense that, you know, it's been a, a part of the discussion since long before the running back injuries. And then obviously the running back injuries just make it that much clearer. I am interested to see, you know, where that develops to, because, uh, you know, you, you've been talking since the offseason, all of these bigger trends could, you know, give Lamar Jackson this – overall number one quarterback upside obviously did that two years ago but certainly wasn't being drafted this year he wasn't being drafted you know qb2 or anything I think he was mostly like qb4 i think you had him qb2 i think that looks to be very smart obviously kyler's been fantastic as well but if lamar does pass that much i mean it, it could just be fantastic for the ravens but Anyway, back to, back to your point. I, I do agree that the Browns seem like the, the pretty clear favorites in this division right now. It'll be interesting interesting to see the Ravens develop, certainly, with all their injuries.
2: And I'm, I'm excited to watch this team play because maybe it's not what they want to do long term. But in zero RB watch, I note that they split their opportunities in such a way that none of these running backs have any value. We've seen now that Latavius Murray can't get it done. We've seen now that Devontae Freeman can't get it done. Uh, you know, you, you were adamant that we should drop him again off of the teams even last week where we had added him sort of speculatively. I do hope they go back to Williams. You go in the stats, you look, he's one of the top guys in the entire NFL in terms of yards before contact. A lot of people will sort of push that to the side and say, that's not a running back skill, but it's not true of the other guys, right? I mean, you need somebody who can get through the line when you have it set up. Williams can do it. The other two guys can't. But this passing, when we talk about the missed opportunities, not only do you have those plays for Brown, but he actually missed Mark Andrews wide open in the end zone. Andrews goes five for 109. He could have added another 35 yards and a touchdown on that. Bateman coming back. And, you know, people who drafted Bateman in rookie drafts in Dynasty, I mean, they're going to be excited about this. They're not necessarily going to let him go. But you want to put out feelers and see – what opportunities might be there maybe some team is actually a contending team and they need one of your guys in order to you know get through these next couple of weeks they're willing to make that trade i think seeing how this offense has developed the first three or four weeks you know we have the mini breakout from brown i don't think that's going to disappear just because he dropped these passes although you know you think about deontay johnson last year and how much it seemed to get in his head it's certainly not ideal to have a little stretch there where you drop some passes Because we're humans, you know, it's not like you can just make all that go away. And the next time that happens, that is not kind of in the back of your mind. But, you know, Sammy Watkins has had a role. I mean, Sammy Watkins is done, right? So, I mean, Bateman goes in there. If this offense passes and attacks down the field, you know, suddenly you could have somebody with Bateman who is a big fantasy weapon and a weapon already here in 2021. We talk about guys who could win the second half of the season. I think that Bateman has to be in that category.
1: Yeah, I, I, I love that point. Um, I was already planning on, on chip chasing tonight with with Pat Crane and, and Pete Overz that. I'll be I'll be talking with them. Pat's been very, very high on Bateman. I was less enthused because of the Baltimore pass volume. And throughout the offseason, Pat kind of always wanted to take Bateman and a lot of the high-stakes teams I did with those guys. And we didn't get as much Bateman exposure. And somehow I'm already planning to sort of joke with with Pat tonight that I can't believe he didn't allow us to get more Bateman exposure because he's sort of always trying to. We didn't do a good job of allowing that to happen. Bateman looks just like like he could be a, an absolute smash with the way that everything is setting up for him. At the same time, Marquise Brown, to your point, you know, the drops, like you said, not a great thing. But if he catches those passes, like we we're talking about him, or even just one, we're talking about him very, very differently, I think. he's. I'm doing that weighted targets per out run column. He, he's... Fifth in the NFL, he's behind Devonte Adams, Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, and then Odell Beckham is right there, basically tied with him. Only play, has only played the one game, right? And so Brown is right there with Cooper Cup in terms of the the volume of targets and air yards that he's drawing per route run. The fact that the Ravens are throwing more, I mean, he I, I wrote in this that he's sort of quietly tearing it up, or perhaps it's loud in the sense that his drops have have left a lot of potential product, production on the field, and I think. You know, either way you look at that, people are probably not going to be high enough on Marquise Brown right now, especially in the very short term before Bateman's back. He's been getting open and he's been drawing targets and he's been doing like, and if he has that, you know, those catches, like I said, and has a big week three, we're like, wow, like this is Marquise Brown breakout season now. But instead, you know, those drops happen. That's again, gets back to these, you know, three week variant samples. I'm glad you brought all that up because I was saying I was a little bit more concerned about the Ravens because they tried to go past heavy, barely beat the lions, but you're right. Like that actually worked really well <laughs> if they just catch the ball. <laughs>
2: right. Well, and, and you mentioned those weighted numbers for Brown there and that pops out just watching the games too. You know, sometimes you see these like separation stats and it's a little bit tricky to know what to do with because part of being a stud wide receiver is that you want the quarterback to throw it to you when you're covered. I mean, you look at someone like Mike Williams Justin Herbert has made him into a star because he throws him open. And Williams is like, yes, finally. I mean, this is what I can do. When I'm covered, I still make the plays. And Williams, number one in week three in terms of expected points added. The reality stat, again, Matt has added that to our Monday review tool. Blair wrote a cool column about it this week. Number two, obviously, Cooper Cup. Cup has been the story of the NFL through three weeks. But with the possible exception of Cup, I mean, nobody gets open. Like Marquise Brown, right? I mean, he doesn't just separate. I mean, he is wide open in these games, and that's one of the things that even made the drops a little bit worse. It's just that he's separated by so much, and so that separation is going to be the thing that we expect to continue. I mean, that's his skill. It's great for him. It's great for the Ravens. And you know, in in some fairness, that first one of the three, uh, that ball was probably tipped right before I got to him. So it's really probably just the two drops. Now the two drops were pretty egregious, but. <laughs> But yeah, we like Marquise Brown. We, we know hope that
1: he continues to have the breakout. It's tough if you had him in your lineup. I mean, this is what I would say about drops. People are like, you say drops don't matter. Well, I I would have won my game if he catches any of those passes. And it's like, yeah, it's tough when you had him in your in your lineup. But what you have to do is try to stay as even keel as possible because you know being frustrated about the drops doesn't change how many fantasy points he scored for you last week. What you're trying to figure out is what's going to happen going forward. And the volume is fantastic. I mean, I think he's probably a great buy low right now as well. You, you mentioned it putting out the feelers for Bateman, but especially if, in your, if you're in a, a league where whoever has Marquise Brown is frustrated by the fact that he had those big drops and lost their game and wants him off their roster immediately. I mean, the volume has been really, really top notch.
2: It has been. And Ben, we talk about staying even keel. One of the questions that we get a lot in all of the different forums in which we participate is what do I do three weeks in? Right? How do I manage my zero RB team? How do I manage my modified zero RB team? How do I manage my traditional team that has had some injuries or where I have some interesting guys, but they haven't performed yet? We're talking about people who have the more trifecta and only one of those players has given them points in the line. Well, one of the frustrating things about some of these players early too is that it can be the worst of both worlds, right? You have Rondell Moore on your bench in week two, He puts up the massive point total, so then you put him in, and he doesn't score, and you're like, ah, I lost out on both sides of this. So we have a lot of thoughts on how fantasy players should manage these teams. I have a a big, long discussion of it on OT later in the week, but you and I wanted to kind of go back and forth and discuss how these teams work. Rondell Moore, start with him. He's another guy who pops in the weighted targets per route run. He's someone that we think... Was an undervalued prospect. He's someone where they did have a manufactured touch for him at the goal line. He didn't quite get in. Even just getting in there changes that game for him quite a bit. But we also have a situation where Christian Kirk is having a revival. And we have a situation where somehow A.J. Green is on the field and the rest of the team has been so good that he's managed to gain some yards. This was kind of a funny one. I was joking with you before the show that there was a play this week where the ball was thrown to him. He made basically no effort to catch it. And then he looked at Kyler and worried like, how dare you throw the ball in my direction? <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever seen a wide receiver so disgruntled
1: to get a target in my entire life. <laughs> but he did put up some numbers this week, which is frustrating um, because, you know, if you're a Rondell Moore fan, and because the Cardinals are looking for reasons to keep him on the field. They brought him in. They thought he was, you know, improved their team. And so... Yeah, just the fact that he had a 100-yard day and, and a decent performance on some of the other targets where maybe he was more ready for it and it was more to his liking that, that he was being thrown the football and asked to do his job. Then he's available in one of our leagues. Are we bidding 550, 600 for him? God, no, 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 no. no. But yeah, the, no, the weighted target's brought run. Moore looks great in that. We were talking a little before the, before the show. Christian Kirk is actually tops on the team, though. And that's sort of a problem for Moore because Moore's playing a lot in the slot and Kirk is crushing in the slot. And with Green showing some life on the outside, the path to Moore getting on the field was, you know, either Kirk gets bumped outside or he beats out Kirk. And neither and of those things are likely imminent because Kirk has been even better in terms of drawing volume and has been efficient with that. It's Hopkins who's actually at the bottom of of their four receivers in terms of drawing targets and, and air yards per route. He's obviously been banged up. I think that's probably playing a pretty big role, but a good, a good note for another good note for Kyler. There's a lot of good notes for Kyler, but that he's finding success, not even having to, to sort of key on Deandre Hopkins. He's barely even had to use Deandre Hopkins so far. I mean, that's, if Hopkins gets healthy and starts having some big games, you know, that's very promising for Kyler that he's been able to spread the ball around. He's even got guys like Max Williams involved, which that guy is, you know, teased fantasy owners before and never done anything, but he's starting to actually see some volume this year. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. It's, it's not promising for more that the other guys are doing so well is the way I would put it.
2: Now, Elijah Moore is someone again, who pops if you compare weighted opportunity with air conversion and his athleticism just also screams out at you through the television screen and yet the jets have struggled and uh, blair again wrote a nice piece on this the rookie quarterbacks have been very very poor it emphasizes just how good justin herbert was last year it emphasizes i think how good joe burrow was where some people are saying i mean he didn't have that good of a season and yet when you plug his name into the road of his screener you use the similarity search you know one of the main names that comes up with a very similar rookie year Is Andrew Luck and so we have him bouncing back we have Jamar Chase looking very very good but these guys in the bad offenses the Jaguars the Jets we know we're going to be patient with these guys we're not cutting Chenault to waivers we're probably not cutting Elijah Moore but where's the the combination of patience and urgency when say we're one and two or oh and three One of the things that I've talked about is that your league structure does matter, right? And so it matters how many weeks are in the season. It matters whether or not six teams make the playoffs or four teams make the playoffs. It matters whether or not you have a points route to victory. So one of the things I'm always rooting for each week, you're kind of rooting for those teams that maybe are not scoring as well. You want them to be lucky, right? I referenced how we were lucky on Monday night when Amari Cooper did not score just the very minimal points it would have taken to beat us on your teams that maybe are losing, that are scoring huge numbers of points. Our team uh, with Pat and Pete is one and two, but I think it's just a couple of points out of a first in terms of total points scored. And so we have a path there with the format that we're in, but not everybody is playing in a format that has that path. And so when we're looking at how aggressive we want to be, we're thinking about the bye weeks. We're thinking about the second half of the season. We talk a lot about how number one zero running back continues to improve your team all the way through the year. We saw that very sadly this week with someone like Chuba Hubbard, who now looks like he's going to be a star. He was the guy on this year running back watch list. He was a prospect we said you had to have. And in redraft, that's the area that I have the least of him in part because I just like Christian McCaffrey so much, even though I don't have him on teams that I just, I didn't want to believe that he could get hurt again, but it does happen, Right. So we know that the zero RB teams are going to improve. We know that the rookie heavy teams are improved. One of the things that we've talked about with drafting second year players is that in that group as well, you have a wider range of outcomes for the player in question. And so there, we don't know as much about who to start in the first couple of weeks. We know these guys are much more likely to jump up and be worth a second round pick next year if they were a fifth round pick this year. But unlike someone like an Adam Thielen, they're also more likely to fall back a little bit. And that gives us some questions early on. So I think that one of the things that we have to do here is be aware of how our valuation for the individual players is changing, but also be aware of how our league functions and whether or not we have to adjust and kind of take a narrower path to victory, right? Do you have to make some aggressive win now Moves because in your league, that's the only way to do it? Or is that going to be the thing that actually destroys your team because you weren't quite
1: patient enough? Yeah, I talked about this a little bit in my introduction uh, to part one of Stealing Signals. I mean, I I think, and and one of the things that I said was um, that I've seen way, I'm just going to read it (laughs) because I'm lazy. I've seen way more fantasy rosters just turn around because of uh, underperforming players starting to perform. And things like points against luck shift and an 0-3 team rattle off six straight wins, which you don't want to bank on, but I have seen that. Uh, I've done that. I mean, not every season do I have a team like that, but certainly when you're building teams that you think are going to be very good just because they start 0-3, like, okay, at the beginning of the year, you had designs and thoughts on them being potentially 12-2 and or whatever, however many weeks you have. And so if they're 0-3 now, can't they still be that good the rest of the way? Can't they still be... You know 10 and one the rest of the way or whatever i guess I'm, yeah i'm using 14 weeks that's right so they'd finish 10 and four i mean that's not crazy right if it, if, if you actually do have a good team i've seen more rosters improve that way then i've seen teams that are struggling and you almost by definition have a bunch of players who've lost value and and then trying to fix that team by selling those players that you're going to have to sell basically low for sort of the flavor of the month, right? Like selling Stefan Diggs right now makes absolutely no sense. There's nothing wrong with his volume profile. Like it it will be frustrating if he continues to not produce, obviously. And that is a possibility. Like there's no reason that that isn't still part of the range of outcomes. Things could continue to be frustrating in that regard. At the same time, like there's no reason to think that he can't just start producing right away. And I fully expect Diggs is an extreme example. Fully expect Diggs to start producing There's other players where it's a little bit more, uh, you know, less clear and you have, you know, you have to think through to your point, you know, you have to think through your roster. Is your team actually successful? Is your team failing because of a player like Diggs, who you expected a lot more out of, but the rest of the roster is pretty strong and you're just not necessarily getting enough at the top or Jonathan Taylor, you know, some, some teams where I have a guy like that, where I, Look, the Colts are 0-3. I don't expect them to go 0-17. Like They're going to have some positive scripts. We're going to get a scene more out of Jonathan Taylor. He also has just had horrible luck in the the green zone scoring touchdowns. There's a lot of context there where you're not going to be able to trade Jonathan Taylor right now, and and doing so is not a smart move because, again, by definition, you're struggling because he's lost value. People are not going to look at him positively when he hasn't had any big games. And so going out and trading him and trying to grab a couple of you know, uh, filler pieces that are doing well right now, when we know the defining characteristic of NFL seasons is chaos. This is what we always talk about things. And when we talk about chaos, we just mean like variability, right? Like things change in in the drop of an eye. And one of the things I mentioned in silent signals was Jonathan Taylor in the middle of last year, there were a lot of really strong takes that Jonathan Taylor was a bust because he had that three game stretch where he had fewer than 40 total yards in each game. He was not breaking out even with Marlon Mack injured through about week 10. And then he closes with just a fantastic second half of the season. Uh, A.J. Brown is one that is frustrating a lot of people. I'm getting a lot of questions about, obviously. I love A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown started last year, five catches for 39 yards in week one, then missed the next two weeks with injury. And then he came back from week five on and was an absolute superstar. Am I saying that exact same thing is going to happen this year? Yes, absolutely. I'm 100% sure that's exactly how this is going to happen. (laughs) No, No, obviously I have no idea if that exact same thing is going to happen, but it is interesting to think back that at this time last year, after three weeks, we were feeling the exact same way about AJ Brown that we're feeling right now. And he then went on to be so good that we were drafting him in the second round this year. And so is it, is it unheard of that he could still play like A.J. Brown? I mean, obviously, again, we, we, we need him to be healthy. It's not great that he's not healthy. But once he gets back to health, I do still think he's going to be very good. He had some drops issues in one of those games. It's been a weird three games for him. And then obviously and the it, third third game, he barely plays last week. He barely plays. goes out right away.
2: And I think that I'm almost tempted to try and add some of these guys even on underperforming teams, as opposed to go the other direction. You mentioned you have to sell low on some of your players, and that's like the worst thing that you can do if you're struggling. I mean, just think about it from the range of outcomes that a player has in any given week. If you are underperforming right now, say you're one and two or you're zero oh and three, in your league format, that might actually not even be a big deal if your point total is good. If your point total is not good and you're questioning your team and you feel like you need to come back, you think about the profile of these guys, Right. If you're already behind, do you want to sell a guy with a low floor in order to get a guy with a low ceiling? I mean, the low ceiling guy is not going to bring you back, right? And those are the players that your league mates want to sell to you. They want to sell you the low ceiling guys so they can add more upside to their own roster. And so we want to look at it from that perspective. We want some of these guys to turn back around. You also have to be fair to yourself in terms of why you're in that predicament. Is your team bad or was it unlucky? Now, a lot of times I think people think, well, if I'm saying I'm unlucky, I'm making excuses. But if you had A.J. Brown and James White in in this last week and they go out and basically score no points, there was nothing you could do to control that. And it's going to have a huge impact on your overall score because you only get so many starters, right? The reason that you drafted a lot of wide receivers is to weather the injuries and to destroy the bye weeks. Well, if you had injuries to guys in games like a Jerry Judy, for example, you're not going to score as many points. You don't have as much firepower now as you had to start the season, but you actually still have pretty good firepower compared to a lot of your league mates who look superficially better. And so while in some way you may not be quite as well set up to dominate the bye weeks you still have the type of team that's better than your opponents. If you just let it play out, right? The other thing you have is that you have a chance for some of these guys to start coming back exactly when you need them, which is during the bye weeks And so that element of it can work out too.
1: And one thing, one thing I will say is we're not just saying stand pat regardless because you're is like Sometimes your team is just going to suck and it's going to continue to suck and you're going to lose. Like That does happen. It, it tends not to happen as much as your RB teams. It's a big thing that we talked about in the offseason that you almost feel like just structurally when you build that way or an anchor RB team or whatever that you are in, in a worst case scenario going to probably finish in the middle of the pack and scoring and in record. A lot of these teams, though, I mean, I have some teams that are in in last in scoring, which I almost never do when I structure them this way, even through a first through the first few weeks, and and they're teams that have guys like AJ Brown that you talked about, that have guys like Jerry Judy. Where in this three game sample, I have guys who got hurt in game, and I got no points out of that. I I started Ryan Fitzpatrick. The the one that I have is a, a home league with my college buddies, which like who cares, but it's also so frustrating because they're my college buddies. And they're like, you do this for for a job. You do this. This is what you do. But I had Ryan Fitzpatrick starting week one. Uh, And I believe I started Justin Fields in week three. And like, okay, so now I've gotten like no quarterback points for the season. I lost AJ Brown. I lost Jerry Judy in game a couple of times that, you know, these things are not, you know, going to be long-term problems for my team. Eventually I'm going to have a week where all the players on my team actually play for, full four quarters and then we'll see how good my team is right but and there's good things on that roster it's got cd lamb and it's got dj moore and at, at any rate it's at the same time it doesn't mean you just sit it on sit on all own threes and, 3s. and I, I think back to a piece that that frank the fantasy douche wrote years ago where he was either talking after week three or maybe week four i want to say this is 2016 when i was an editor there at Rotoviz and working so closely with him because i remember you know, talking through it with him as he was, you know, thinking of, about the idea and then and then the post that he wrote. And his his point was at a certain point, you do want to consider that you need to start winning games, especially if you don't have a points for path. And so you almost treat it like every week is a one week season and you want to optimize for that week. So if you have an injured player that won't be back for a couple of weeks, it is okay to trade that player to get somebody that has a nice matchup this week that will help you this week. And then maybe next week, you try to make some more trades again and you start getting very aggressive every week, sort of flip parts of your roster. So every week you're optimizing for that week, get aggressive with your fab. Cause if you just keep losing and waiting around, you can go to zero and six and then you're probably done. Right. And so there are, I think it's important what we're saying about staying the course. It's important from the regard of what we said at the top of the show that This has been a weird first three weeks. And especially if you have players that have left mid-game in a lot of these scenarios, that's that's very challenging. If you're making some bad start-sit calls, you know, or bad, I'm putting in air quotes because, you know, sometimes it's just variance. But you have points on your bench and not on your lineup, and that costs you games. You know, that's not – that doesn't mean your team's bad. It just means things didn't go perfect. You know, if those things are happening, probably – to everything we said probably the best case scenario is to sort of stay the course with these high upside players like you were saying at the same time if you go to own 4 this week if you go to own 5 if you go to one and 4 maybe after 5 weeks and you are concerned about being so buried there is an argument for starting to trade particularly i think the players that have actually been good on your roster cuz then you're actually getting full value of what they are you can trade a guy who is maybe your one good player and people get concerned about that. And I think this was the point that Frank was sort of making years ago, trade him for trade. The guy that's been the one good player your team. You know, I mean the immediate player I'm thinking of is Christian McCaffrey, who's now hurt. But like, if you had a Christian McCaffrey roster that was losing, then you felt like had real issues. You could trade McCaffrey for like three key pieces and it would improve your starting lineup in the short term. It would improve the overall upside of your roster. Potentially, you know, hard, hard to make that case trading Christian McCaffrey ever, But like, I don't know, maybe you have Derrick Henry, right? He's going off right now and the rest of your team sucks. I don't have an issue with you trading Derrick Henry for multiple pieces. Most of the time people try to say, I don't like to be on the one side of the two for one or the three for one trade. I want to get the best player in the deal. If you have holes in your roster, if you don't have a good tight end and you can't find anything and you can get a legitimate high end tight end from somebody who maybe drafted two of them plus an improvement elsewhere, plus maybe, you know, a startable running back that's a downgrade from this Derrick Henry helps you, uh, you know, still score points in that roster spot, but you're improving at tight end also, you're improving at receiver also, you're optimizing for the short term, you're improving the overall makeup of your of your roster now, and you're being a little bit more risky now, pushing some chips in. I, I do think there's room for those types of moves in some cases, right? And especially in leagues where you can trade and do those things. But Uh, Yeah, it's not really the the season or the time right now to be doing that if you've just had some in-game injuries or those types of things. And Frank had tons of guts, so we're not surprised that he would trade his best player. (laughs) Trading
2: the best player in Dynasty as well. I think a lot of times teams set back their rebuild by multiple seasons because they want to hang on to the one good guy. That's the guy who will get your rebuild going, right? So if you're a a dynasty participant and you need that element, you know, look to get rid of your best players. Don't try and sell, you know, your TY Hilton's. That's not going to do it for you. That's not going to move the needle. The other thing you mentioned, I think having a kind of a DFS mindset on a weekly basis is great. People who want to do that, they're going to get a ton of insights from stealing signals to be able to do it. The tools on Rotoviz will let you really supercharge that element of your play. Make sure you check that out. And we talked a lot in the offseason about if you want to make trades as a dynasty participant, go out there and be a good trade partner. Find people in your leagues where you can help their team too. If they need your star and you want to trade one for three, and now you've got a a great starting lineup compared to what you had, maybe do that. If they need your young guys with the huge ceiling and they like those guys, maybe trade that. Don't try to make the entire trade on your terms. You won't get the trades done that you need to get your team turned back around. Ben, it's been a blast chatting with you, going through uh, some of these team-building exercises. I'm looking forward to our own free agent uh, acquisitions tonight and then the Thursday night game. We will back be back with the group on Friday to talk some more fantasy football. Until then, I'm Sean Siegel, with me, as always, it's been Gretsch whom you can follow at Yards Per Gretsch and make sure you sign up for Stealing signals. He's going to have a great post out today that will make you really regret it if you don't do that. We've got new stuff coming out on Rotoviz all the time, including tools. We've got great articles up from new writers, old writers, Dave, the whole gang. You're going to love those things. Check out his cornerback wide receiver matchup article later in the week. You can get a 10% discount using the coupon code RVRadio2021 at check out, make sure you get that in there to save 10% for yourself. Leave us a rating and review. We really appreciate that. You guys have been fantastic. Subscribe to the feed. You'll get the episodes a little bit more quickly that way. Sometimes that will help you with a trade, with a free agent pickup, all of that kind of thing. So we're looking forward to seeing you there. Until then, have a good one.